Welcome to the Metro Detroit Christian Church Podcast. Up next, you will hear a message delivered by one of our pastors or guest speakers. We pray that you encounter Jesus Christ as you engage with this message. Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew, the book of Matthew. So for anyone who's a guest or those who were not here, we we held an event on Saturday, January 7th, called the Day of Power. And this was a response. We we held this event in response to the the Lord just telling us we, we should do this, for one. Because in the month of November, the end of October, through the month of November, we started experiencing unusual levels of power coming through our corporate services and through our discipleship groups. And what the Lord began revealing is that these displays of his power are his response to evil that's entrenching in our culture. This is what God is doing in in response to what the devil is doing. Actually, God is not responding to the devil. He's continuing to lead. So we, and there's a whole theology, actually. There's a whole understanding of days of power that the scripture reveals to us. And so we've been teaching about this. We invited people from the grassroots, political conservative movement um, to join us on that Saturday, January 7th. And we taught on that day. The place was packed. And we taught uh, on that day the difference between conservatism and the kingdom. There's a difference. And the two actually don't mix. The kingdom of God does not mix with political conservatism. And so the Lord was actually offering people who are involved in the political conservative movement, their their agendas, their goals are often right and godly. Who doesn't want the end of abortion? That's a godly thing. And we should be working toward that end in our state. But how God is bringing an end to abortion is different than the methodology used by political conservatives. And so we were teaching on this, and we had an incredible manifestation of power on that day. People rushing to the altar to be healed, delivered, get right with God, repent. So this was, you know, our first... Our, one of our first events, our first services in the year 2023. And I believe that that event marked a transition for us. And so we've been debriefing. Last week we debriefed and we're going to debrief again today about what is the Lord saying? What was he doing in this day of power? What is he saying by saying, I'm going to be giving you many days of power in 2023. What is this all about? And so, because we want to we take this in and get deep understanding. We don't want to just be people that experience God, but don't have understanding of what he's doing. Yeah. 
Jesus actually, this is actually the major problem Jesus talks about in Matthew 13, is that the word and the spirit, things of God start happening in the earth. People get excited about it, but they don't have a spirit of understanding. And if you don't have understanding, you're not actually cooperating with the deeper things that God is doing, the invisible things. You're not incorporating it into your being, into your own culture. You're just in the experience and excited about it. So we need to grow in understanding. And we've taken last week, and we're going to also take this week and probably next week, uh, and maybe the rest of this month, debriefing so we can grow in our understanding. And so today, I'm going to share a little bit, and then Pastor Shelley and Pastor Ryan are also going to help us debrief about what is God doing in days of power. So I want to start out and look at Matthew 16. And let's start with verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That is so bizarre. He just tells them who he is. It's a big clue. That's like me saying, Who do people say that I, Peter Dresser, am? I'm Peter Dresser. So, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Interesting. The Je- oh. oh, okay. That's, uh, <laughs> that's sort of like when Pastor Lisa and I are watching TV, and I, you know, lean against the controller, and we move ahead a half hour in the movie. <laughs> the problem when you have two puppy dogs and blankets and <laughs> snacks and <laughs> not that we ever do that I was just okay I was in the I was about to, I was about to you know heaven was about to fall right there <laughs> Verse 14, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. So the general population realized some, something like really incredible is happening. Like maybe John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. So that's the kind of dynamic that was surrounding Jesus. It's like, who is this guy? Is, is he raised from the dead? You know what? People should be having that kind of question about us. Who are these people? They're like raised from the dead. God, just cleanse us from church usual. We just need, need your help, Jesus. Like priest most high, great priest, feed us today. Raise us from the dead again so we're not just mere natural men. So they were thinking, you're Jeremiah or John the Baptist or Elijah. And he said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. So <clears throat> he's saying, you're right. You got it right, Peter. I, the Son of Man, am the Christ and the Son of the living God. We've got three titles here in two or three verses. We got the Son of Man, the Christ, and the Son of the living God. Do you know that Jesus in the New Testament presents Jesus with three titles? He's called the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where the apostles in their writings present Jesus to the church. He's the Lord, meaning he's Jehovah. He's God. He's a man, Jesus, from Nazareth, the one born of Mary, that one. And he's the Christ. He's the one anointed to rule nations and bring about a massive reformation that wipes out injustice and righteousness and sickness and disease. He's amazing. He's God, man, ruler of the earth, Lord Jesus Christ. And he's presented right here. Son of man, he's God. Come to judge the nations. That's what son of man means. Son of man is a reference to Daniel 7. Say Daniel 7. I'm not going to read that chapter, but it might be beneficial to go home and read that chapter because son of man was a term Jesus used about himself. He preferred it over being known as the Christ and over being known as the son of the living God. He referred to himself as Christ, I think it's 11 times. He referred to himself as the Son of God six times. This is Jesus talking about himself. He refers to himself as the Son of God six times. The Christ, 11 times. But Son of Man, 78 times. So we need to get to know this Son of Man person. We're still, we are getting it. Right now, it's out in the atmosphere. It's being teached. It's being preached. We've, had, we've, had, we've, we've been excited about it, and now we're going beyond the excitement phase to reality stage where it really changes our worldview. So we have to hold on to this teaching, really, really get understanding about the Son of Man. And Daniel 7 gives us an understanding of the Son of Man, just a quick overview of Daniel 7. Daniel 7 starts out, Daniel's having visions. Say visions. And he's seeing these beasts, a leopard, a bear, um, a... Something else. And a great beast who has got iron claws and iron teeth. And these beasts represent world empires. World governments, they were representations of the, um, the Babylonian era, the Persian era, the Greek empire, and the Roman empire. These beasts represented, and these, these beasts are oppressing God's people on the earth. And then Daniel has these other visions about this son of man, it says, being ushered before the ancient of days. And he's, being, he's coming with clouds before the Ancient of Days. And the Ancient of Days, which is God, he has no beginning and no end. He turns and he just transfers all, any authority God has. 
He transfers it over to this human that Daniel sees being ushered before the Ancient of Days. And to him, to this son of man, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that everybody on the earth would serve him. All nations, peoples, and languages should serve him. And so when this son of man is given authority from God, he's given all the authority God has, not partial. Any authority God has, does God have a lot of authority? He's got it all. He is the originator of authority. There's no beginning to his authority. He's always had authority. And he transfers that to a human and says, rule now over this globe. And in his rulership, under the rulership of Christ, these beasts, these principalities and powers that are mucking up the governments of earth, that are bringing about awful policies that are resulting in weird things happening to the populations of the earth. The son of man picks up these beasts and throws them into fire and destroys them. And the oppressed people, the people of God, are exalted, and they actually start inheriting the same authority he has. That's Daniel 7. That's the Son of Man. Everything Jesus taught was in the framework of the Son of Man. It was always in his mind. Listen. We're, we want to be, at MDCC, we want to be not just church people. People who go to church and listen to sermons and go home and whatever. And watch movies with puppy dogs and blankets and snacks. We, we want to understand, get into the inner workings of Jesus. What was the inner workings of this man? What were the inner workings of Paul the Apostle, of, G, of, of Peter the Apostle? What was going on in these guys' brains? How did they see things? What were they feeling? Because however you're seeing things, however you're feeling things, it's resulting in you having the life you have right now. It's not somebody else's fault. It's whatever's going on in your brain. And I don't know about you, but I am not yet having the same results that Jesus, Paul, and Peter were having. That means I need to keep changing. How about you? What am I going to change to? I need to, my inner configuration, the way I think, the way I see life, the way I understand God needs to, to grow and become the way Jesus sees things. So he's giving us a big clue. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Clue. 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 I'm the son of man. It's like, it's like there's been a fog. It's like there's been this veil over the church maybe for centuries. We haven't even, we haven't even used the term. 
the term he uses the most about himself. We haven't even used it. Like, one of the things that I, I, I hope that as we keep debriefing will happen with us is we'll, get, we'll move away from just the language, because now we're starting to use it in our culture, in our church. We're starting to use the phrase son of man. But I'm hoping it's more than just an empty phrase. I'm hoping when we say the word son of man, the inner workings of Christ will start going off on the inside of us. And whenever Jesus said son of man, he's like coming with the clouds. In the glory of God and all his holy angels, and he's wiping out the beasts on the earth. And he's judging nations, establishing righteousness, exalting the ecclesia, his body in the earth, and he's bringing everything wrong right. He loves that. He loves it so much, he's willing to die for that. How many, a little bit of, a little bit of veil, fogginess, like lack of clarity, like religion? I just, I just do religion. I just come and I listen and get excited in the service. I pray, we, I pray. I pray that we would not just be excited in services, but we go home and search the scriptures. You know, my mother passed away Thursday, January 5th, I think it was, something like that. We had our funeral this Thursday, and I spent some time yesterday, I'm, I'm working with my brother now to try to put an epitaph on her gravestone. What are, we, what are the words? We have four lines, 15, 15 characters for the line. And we're going back and we're trying to decide. Here's one of the things I'm that are going off inside me, whether we put this on her epitaph or not. My, she's, her epitaph is going to be on the back of my dad's stone. He's a veteran, so he has a, a stone at the, vet, at the Great Lakes Cemetery. And on his um, stone, it says, he took the cross to himself daily and lives forever. That's what's on my dad's tombstone. Isn't that awesome? That was his own translation of Luke 9.23. He took the cross to himself daily and lives forever. Well, one of the things I'm experimenting with from the backside of it, because she doesn't get her own separate stone, they got one stone, is she searched the scriptures daily and lives forever. Because my mother searched the scriptures daily. It's really what she did. And Paul writes, in, in, and Luke writes actually in the book of Acts, that that actually can be a cultural way of living a whole people in a city function by. The Bereans, the, the, Paul goes into this city called Berea, and he preaches, and they go, this is awesome, this is good, but let's see. 
Let's check it out if he's really accurate. We want to know for ourselves by revelation. So I pray that you'd search the scriptures. Like grapple with the difficulty of scripture. Like Daniel 7, it's, it's a hard chapter. And yet, that's the chapter Jesus refers to more than any other chapter in the Bible. Because when a New Testament writer or leader re- quotes one segment or verse or phrase of a chapter in the Old Testament, they are, you, can, you can take it to the bank that what's going on inside them is the whole chapter's in there. So we should read Daniel 7. I could read it for you now, but I'm going to just encourage you to go home and read it. Grapple with it. It's, it's tough. But if we'll search the scriptures, we'll, starting have, we'll start having the worldview of the scriptures. And our worship will not just come out of memory of outpourings of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come out like a current revelation. Okay. So here we are, Matthew 16, verse 16. Who do men say I the son of man in? M. Simon Peter answered, verse 16, you are the what? The son of the living God. Jesus answered, said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. The Greek word is ekklesia. Say ekklesia. Ekklesia. You've heard it a hundred times before if you've been attending this fellowship, but you need to hear it again. Because we have not yet tapped into the full dynamics of what the ekklesia is. Jesus did not use the word church. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus did not use the word church. The translators use the word church. The King James translators in the 1500s used, took the term, Greek term, ecclesia, and they translated church. And King James actually gave the translators special instructions. You translate that word church. Because it was a political statement. He was wanting to... To, to undergird the Anglican, the Church of England that he was seeking to build. This is bad. This is not neutral. Jesus did not come to build the Church of England. He didn't come to build popes and priests and bishops like we see in, in all. He didn't come to build the Baptist Church or the... Presbyterian Church or the Roman Catholic Church. He came to build the ecclesia. Like, this is really important. I will build. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven, I say it to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this revelation of who I am, I'm going to build. An ecclesia. 
a body, a called out assembly. The word means assembly, and it also means a governing assembly. Patterned after the Greek and Roman city-states who the way they governed their state was they had a, 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 a body of citizens who were called out to govern that city-state. And they would be called out together to legislate, make rules and policies. And it was a government term, ecclesia. That's what Jesus came to build. I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what he's building is going to withstand or whatever is in the realm of hell that's working in the earth that will try to attack this people or whenever these people are on a forward advance against what hell is doing. Hell is going to lose. Hello. This is a spiritual entity he's coming to build that faces hell. Do you know that hell is at work in the earth? You know, and Jesus, just a few chapters before, he starts condemning cities, and he says some cities are going to hell currently, and other cities are going to heaven currently. Hell is working in cities. Heaven is trying to get into cities. The difference, the, the people that make a difference are the ecclesia. Jesus goes on, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is incredible amount of authority. This is a capacity for a people to open up dynamic flows that will impact culture that are akin to or they are coming, these flows are coming from heaven. There's also a people that can close down whatever hell is doing in the culture. We really need this word today. I need this word today. I'll give you, I'll give you the capacity to take a key and open something up. Whatever's opened and flowing in heaven with your functioning, the functioning of the ecclesia, that dynamic will begin working in cultural streams in the earth. Thank you, Joe. With a key, you can close down what hell's doing. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Then what's the next three words in verse 21? From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. This is huge. This is a major transition from that time. 
That's right where we're at. We are in a transition. With 2023, with the beginning of the days of power, we have entered into a from that time moment. And we are today contending for the regional anointing and outpourings and power that we were given at the end of 2022. We're now contending to hold that in our culture at MDCC. Yeah, you know, maybe 10 or 20 are getting this. Those of you who get it, like, yield your spirit with a yes and an amen. Not, it doesn't, I'm not looking for some form, but I'm looking for you to be earnest in how you hear. Yes. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So all of a sudden, he takes a shift. He just announces, he just proclaims to Peter and his disciples that I'm going to, I'm going to give you, who, this is who, you've had a revelation of who I am. I'm God. I'm a king, and I'm a man. Now, you've had that revelation. Based on that ongoing flow of revelation, I'm going to transfer into your life keys, the potential, the capacity to stop what the devil's doing in the earth. Help us today, Lord. Stop what the devil is doing and open up what God is doing. It all hinges on the ecclesia. What happens in our state, what happens in our nation hinges on us. And whoever professes the name of Jesus in the state of Michigan, not just conceptually, but who is ever like aligning their life to Jesus and the teachings of Jesus revealed in the Holy Scriptures. I pray you would search the Scriptures and find Jesus fresh this week. From that time forward, he says, I've, listen, I've just, I've just downloaded, I've just promised the most incredible level of power, any organization, any movement in history, that past, present, or future that will ever be, this movement will carry all the authority of the Son of Man. The, the authority that's going to be given to me by the Father, I'm now transferring to a people on earth to have keys to open up heaven, shut down hell. It's like it's been building for 16 chapters. The, the, these peaks, these breakthroughs into this kind of power have been being revealed by Christ to the disciples. And now here in chapter 16, he lifts the veil on the nature of the power, and then he lifts the veil on the nature of the constitution of the people that can carry that power. There's nothing hidden here. There's nothing veiled here. There's no thing you have to try to interpret. Yeah. 
He's in it. So from this time forward, you know, that, those words, from this time forward, are used in Matthew 4, verse 17. Turn there. Matthew 4, 17. <clears throat> verse 17. Read it with me if you have a King James Version or any translation. Just read it with us. It'll be fun. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So from that time. We don't have another from that time until Matthew 16, 21. This is a shift in Matthew. From Matthew 4, 17 to Matthew 16, 21 is a phase in Jesus' life, and it's a phase with the disciples. The phase in Matthew 4, verse 17 tells us really clear what the phase is about. Repentance, for the kingdom of heaven, the government of heaven, is like right here. Like, and if you're not experiencing it, what you need to do is repent. If we're not experiencing power today, then we need to turn from whatever way we're thinking, whatever way we're sitting here listening to this sermon, we need to adjust it. Whatever way I'm preaching needs to adjust until we're in touch with the power of God. So we've got 12 chapters here that are about repentance because power is present. And then Jesus begins to model this. From that time, what is that time? Well, it tells us clearly, is after Jesus was tempted by the devil, how many of you have ever been tempted by the devil? Jesus was tempted by the devil. And he, he withstood the temptation of the devil. He didn't coddle his feelings. He experienced a, a, some type of draw, some type of message, some type of, 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 of deception or luring was in the atmosphere to draw him in a direction. He didn't coddle his feelings there. He withstood that thing with the scriptures, with the scriptures, with the scriptures, with the scriptures, with the scriptures. I'm pushing the scriptures into the 21st century. I'm pushing the scriptures into the, the people of God, the house of God, the word of God. Whatever place scriptures have been relegated to in the 20th century with the seeker-sensitive movement, let's turn the tables and bring the scriptures back. What do you do with a person who just gets saved? You, you put them into the scriptures. You begin day one teaching them the scriptures. I got, you know, Ken Gulak was telling me about when he first got saved. My parents began driving across the city over to their house every single week from the minute he got saved, feeding him the scriptures, teaching him the scriptures. He didn't know anything about the scriptures. Wow. 
How many are feeling like, it's like, oh, I need to get into the scriptures? Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you for, you know, the producing of hunger is the mercy of Jesus. Mercy's here, like he's sprinkling you with whatever you have been looking at, searching, wondering about, thinking about. He's like, springs to come on, let's align back up to the scriptures. This is the way Jesus overcame temptation. How do you overcome temptation? The scriptures in your heart and speaking it. That's got to be hidden in your heart and you got to speak it. So if you're not hiding it in your heart, you don't have anything to fight the devil with. You can't just fight it with your no. Just say no. It's not enough. You need something bigger than you and bigger than the devil. It's the word of God. It will abide forever. Flowers fade, grass withers, but the word of God stands forever. Put that in your heart. Even if you don't know the Bible, put one verse in there. That one verse has all the power of the whole scriptures in it. Because every verse in the scriptures connected to the whole thing. Just put one verse, take one verse out of concept land. Put it in your heart, then use that verse to fight the devil. Uh, you know, either, either something inside you is going in right now, like I'm going home, I'm going to put a verse in there. Or you're just listening And agreeing. And there will be no action. And that will not be good for you. Okay. This, from this time. From what time? From the time Jesus overcame the devil with the what? He overcame the devil with the scripture. He finished the devil's temptations by quoting scripture at him. And he comes out of that season of temptation with power to heal and to deliver. He came out of the season of temptation with keys of the kingdom resting on him. And the first thing he does is after he comes out and be, with uh, uh, of the wilderness at the time of temptation is that he pronounces that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he calls some disciples, verse 18 to 21 in chapter 4. See that? Yeah. Jesus calls Peter and, and, and James, or Peter and Andrew and James and John. And then in verse 23, 24, and 25, he heals a multitude of people. Let's look at this verse in 23 to 25. And Jesus went out about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching what? Oh, my gosh. And healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him. 
from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. From this time. Say from this time. From what time? After his temptation, he pronounces the kingdom, he calls a few disciples to follow him, and he ministers in power. From that time, that's the beginning. The beginning is overcoming the devil, experiencing power, calling a few people to come alongside you and learn from your life. Hello. And then continuing to move in power. From that time, Jesus does that. He ministers in power. He helps the disciples understand what's going on inside him. What, is it, what does it take to move in power? I'm just going to give a quick overview. Just listen real quick. Matthew 4, 23 to 25, there's power. Matthew 5 through 7 is about discipleship into character. Character issues. Jesus says, if you want to move in power, you have to have the right character issues. Matthew 8, he starts moving in power again. He cleanses a leper. He heals a centurion servant who is paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, and many, many others are healed. And then he turns and talks about discipleship. At the end of Matthew 8, 18 to 22, he talks about the cost of discipleship, that it costs everything. So if you want to move in power, you have to give up everything. Then he goes back, and he talks, he moves in power. He commands winds and waves to obey him. He calms a storm. He drives demons out of two demon-possessed men that are controlling a whole region. And then in Matthew 9, he heals a paralytic, and then he stops in Matthew 9, verse 9 to 17, and talks about discipleship again. He calls Matthew to be the tax collector. John the Baptist's disciples, they come to him, and they ask why his disciples fast why John the Baptist disciples fast, but his disciples don't fast. And Jesus responds and says, basically this, my discipleship is a totally different thing than yours. The discipleship I'm bringing to the table is like new wine being poured into new wineskins. I'm not doing what John the Baptist is doing. My discipleship's different. Again, he's, he's talking about how can we move in power? Well, if we move in power, we have to have the character in us like Matthew 5 through 7. If we want to move in power, we have to give up everything for it. If we want to move in power, we have to have the right kind of discipleship, not John the Baptist's discipleship. We need Jesus' discipleship. What is Jesus' discipleship? Jesus' discipleship is a way he works with you so you're constantly new. New wine only gets poured into new wineskins. As soon as the wineskin becomes old, new wine bursts the wineskin, the wine gets spilled, and everything's, not, everything's off. So right now, the Lord is just helping. There's like really something old on us today. 
the Lord is just going to be like a wonderful great high priest that he is. He is working with all of us today. So we're new. Because you can't move in power unless you're new. And there's something called the new and living way in Hebrews 10, which is the Lord ministering in the context of his ecclesia, his body, a new and living way that makes you new. That, that opens up the way for you to flow in power. How many of you can feel something crusty beginning to break off of your mind and your heart and your body? That's, that is Jesus doing that to you. Because he wants a new wineskin. If you're in a true discipleship relationship, you'll be constantly made new. The one who's discipling you is going to constantly challenge you on how you're getting old, stale, crusty, hard, sullen, withdrawn, observatory instead of participatory, calculating instead of animated. Ah, oh, thank you, Jesus, your great mercy. This crusty, old, observatory, non-animated people, you're, you're, you're helping us. We're sunk without Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, John the Baptist guys, they come to Jesus. How come we fast and your disciples don't fast? Jesus, whatever you're doing is great. It's awesome. You're in your lane. You're doing what God wants you to do at the end of the old covenant. But I am bringing something new. My discipleship is not your discipleship. My discipleship, anybody who follows me, will always be new. Always. Can't you feel newness just breaking in? The Holy Spirit is called a new spirit in Romans 7. He brings the spirit of newness. I feel newness in my, right there. my sternum <laughs> there's nothing worse than stale words there's nothing worse than sentimental worship songs oh it's the i hate it thank you jesus he's making you new today so jesus is, is like going on he's doing miracles and signs and wonders and people are power is just everywhere he goes and, and then he stops periodically and just talks to his disciples and say hey you know if you look at a woman lustfully you've already committed adultery in your heart devastates them <laughs> if you're irritated with your brother you're sending him to hell you're, you, have, you have a hell intention in your heart devastates them It's power, 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 power. It says, if you don't give up everything, you're not a disciple. You're just a make-believe religious person. It devastates them. 
He's, but he's just, he's just started devastating him. <laughs> once the real power shows up, once the power to shut down hell on earth shows up, he says, okay, we're going for utter devastation. <laughs> That's what Matthew 16 is about. He's building all through Matthew 4 to 16. From that time to this time, and from this time, it's when right after he says, the Son of Man, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who, who am I? They don't get it yet. They don't get that he's the one that's going to come in clouds, burst out of the, the you know, out there. We're going to see him. We're going to see a physical body come on physical clouds. And he's going to descend to earth and set up a government. And it's going to like be crazy, powerful, wonderful, righteous, and just. <clears throat> and he's going to do it with the assistance of God himself and all the angels. So whatever we, we feel and think about heaven being cosmic and conceptual and all up there, it's, it's finally going to hit home. It's going to be here for every, everybody on the planet to see. That's who I am, son of man. Not me. That's who Jesus said, that's who I am. Who do men say that I, I the son of man, am? The one that's going to rip the beast out of the one world government. Just bring some discipline back to nations. Judgment. Establish righteous judges. Like, put a standard back. I'm going to do it. Who do men say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the king, the anointed one, the son of the living God. Yes. Heaven has revealed that to you. Heaven's revealed that to you. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And Metro Detroit and the state of Michigan will never be the same in our lifetime. Because we don't grieve as the world grieves. We grieve, but we don't grieve as the world grieves. In fact, Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, your grieving has to be under my authority. So I grieved. I grieved. Now I'm preaching. <laughs> I'm preaching so that power comes into our environment. <laughs> From that time forward, up to this time in Matthew, turn over back to Matthew 16. Verse 
Verse 21, from that time, from the time he says, who do men say I the son of man am? And Peter has revelation, and Jesus gives the keys of the kingdom of heaven and says he's going to build an overcoming body on the earth. From that time forward, he said to the disciples, clearly, up to this point, he's only hinted at death. Just a hint. This is a few chapters earlier. He goes, um... This wicked, adulterous generation, they're looking for miracles. But I'm, the only sign I'm going to give them is the sign of Jonah, who was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Just a little picture. Other than that, no other mention to death about his cross. For 12 chapters... All of a sudden, Matthew 16, verse 21, from that time, Jesus says what? I sort of need to go to Jerusalem. Must. He goes, okay, he's moving into, okay, we're in a new phase here. I am going to start teaching you about death. Death is the thing you must learn, disciples, if you're going to be the ecclesia. From this time forward, the role of death and the cross and the kingdom is unveiled as central to Jesus' mission and central to discipleship. He's unveiling the secret to the inner workings of his heart and life, the secret for eternal power coming into men, pulling down principalities and powers, the secret. The authority to bind everything Satan does on earth and release everything beautiful and orderly and godly. He's unveiling it. This is the way. He says, guys, we're going into a new phase. From this time forward, I'm going to be talking to you about death. Death that I'm going to and death that you must encounter every day. I pray in Jesus' name that all of our stinking little I know that filters would be uprooted by the power of God. Every plant that the Father has not planted will be uprooted. And I'm telling you, I know this kind of thing about death, this thing that would say, well, I'm pretty good at that culture. I'm in that culture. I pray that that be uprooted. And a fresh impartation, because we're at a transition right now. We have been given days of power. And the question is, will we continue to be given days of power in 2023? Jesus is saying, I have you right here. If you want to continue moving days of power, this is the culture you must have. You got to let me teach you about my death. From that time forward, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. 
and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, this shall not happen. He resists death. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. You're a scandal on to me. You are a stumbling block. You are resisting the building of the ecclesia. You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires, you see this? You see this in your Bible? Yes. Anybody desire to come after Jesus? Does anybody desire to come after Jesus? This is what he says. Does anyone desire to come after me? Yes. I'm asking the question. Does anybody want to come after Jesus? Yes. Here's what he says. Let him deny himself. It's, it's radical. It means you must no longer define yourself by yourself. You, you are no longer, you are no longer entitled to know anything about yourself by yourself. You cannot, you cannot know Monday by yourself. You can't know grocery shopping by yourself. <laughs> Let him deny himself and take up his cross. What is his cross? His cross is, is death. It's your death. It's your annihilation. It's your execution. It's the execution of you doing life independent from Jesus. You must pick that up daily. And take up his cross and follow me. Follow me. As I am going to Jerusalem, you've got to go to your Jerusalem. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What profit is it a person if they achieve self-actualization? They achieve the dream that's been in their heart since a boy and since a girl to do this, to be that. What profit is it if you Get to that destination and you've lost your sensitivity to be animated in the presence of God. You've lost yourself, your true self. The one that as soon as the breeze of the Holy Spirit moves through, you're moving with him. That's what Jesus says a disciple is. The Spirit comes, and those who are born of God are just going right with the Spirit. It doesn't go through all sorts of filters of contemplation and observation and calculation and should I or shouldn't I, and well, I felt this and I felt that. and No, no, no. The Spirit's here, and here we go. How about another wave of blood from Jesus to make you one of those kind of people? <laughs> Moves with the Holy Spirit without any filters. What profit if we gain the whole world? We lose our sensitivity to God. And then he comes back to the Son of Man. This is a Son of Man sandwich 
From this time forward, it's a son of man sandwich. It starts with the son of man. Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And now he, and he says, okay, awesome. Now we're going to build the ecclesia. We're going to wipe out the devil on the planet. We're going to start a move of discipleship that continues from generation to generation. It's going to rock nations. Now, you've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily. For the Son of Man will come, verse 27. See that? In the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. This is his final coming. The Son of Man will come. In the glory of his father and his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and his brother and led them up on a high mountain, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. Sounds like he's coming. And his clothes became as white as light. And Moses and Elijah appeared to them. <laughs> in verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. He just said, I'm going to come with the father and the angels. I'm going to do that at the end of the age. And by the way, six days from now, some of you are going to experience my coming. The one that's going to happen at the end of the age is going to happen in six days. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. And there was nine. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the son of man is risen from the dead. It's a son of man sandwich. We are in a son of man sandwich right now. Our lives are being redefined by who Christ is as the Son of Man. It's critical. It's on our right hand and our left hand. It's on top and on bottom, and we're in the middle of the appearing and the revelation of the Son of Man, the one who's going to judge and reward everyone according to their works, who's going to come with the glory of the Father and the glory of the angels, and that coming is not just the end of the age. It's going to happen in six days. And the Lord is going to be telling us all through 2023, just like he did at the end of 2022, he kept saying day of power, and on January 7th, he told us and a day of power. On October 27th, I'm going to come with a day of power. And he came with a day of power at our cross immersion. We just opened up the service and power began moving before we said anything. And then all the priests, all the middle schoolers rushed forward and power hit them. All within five minutes, we had a day of power. He said on January 7th, I'm giving you a day of power. We had a day of power. I'm telling you in 2023, God is going to speaking days and moments and times where I'm coming with power. The question is, will we be ready? Will we see it? Will we adjust our life? Will we give up everything to adjust our life to that movement? I cannot predict it. 
I can't schedule it. I'm not in control. We have to be ready. Pastor Shelley is going to share with us a little bit about why we need to be ready. What's going on in the spirit realm that makes this so important for us? Hello. There we go. So when I was listening to the preaching and testimonies at the Day of Power, I was gripped by the substance, influence, and power of the spirit of the age. Both Jason and Tori shared how no one officially taught them leftist values or worldview. Feminism, critical race theory, modern gender theory, these and other prevalent cultural philosophies were literally in the air. The spirit of the age formed Jason's and Tori's minds until they were discipled. And as I was listening, an alarm went off inside of me. And what I was hearing is, we cannot mess around with this. So, listen to Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And then Ephesians 6, 12 to 13, this is from the Passion Translation. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this world in in bondage, hold this dark world in bondage. So... We live in a day and age of darkness and powerful influence that has this world under its grip. It's an influence that leads all into deception, trespasses, and darkness. It's a course, a current, that is too strong to resist by our own determination, self-willed convictions, or good intentions. We must be awake to the force and works of darkness, which is forming a generation. Praise God, there's an escape. It's the cross. We're given the gift of our death with Jesus. We're raised up by the spirit of the Father and are literally pulled out of this powerful, destructive current. And when we're raised up, we are put into a new life, a real life a concrete way of living. And this life is discipleship, a life of following, encounter, learning, and maturing. We don't get raised up into a different kind of life. 
and we don't want a different life. Because if we don't embrace this particular way, then we're vulnerable to the very powerful deceptive force of the spirit of the age. I'm serious about this. I've actually witnessed it happen to well-meaning friends and family who stepped out of the life of following the voice of Jesus and are now the prey of another forming voice. For the past year and a half, I've been teaching and preaching at Christ the King Classical Homeschools Chapel. We, we have chapel on Monday mornings, every Monday morning, and I've been preaching from Genesis 1 to 3. Almost two years ago, when I was praying about his word for CTK, the Lord spoke one word. He said, student. And I was to pursue this and preach on it. Well, let me just tell you that the revelation he has been unfolding around that one word has been astounding. There is so much packed (laughs) into that one word. Um, One, I'm going to just give you one (laughs) profound revelation I've learned through it is discipleship is not a life program in response to sin or the fall. It has nothing to do with sin. Discipleship has nothing to do with sin. Rather, from the beginning, our creator God designed us that we should be taught and matured, discipled by his voice and through intimacy with him. So in Genesis, when God created man and woman, it says he created them in his own image, blessed them, and then commanded them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Okay, so let me ask you. When Adam was formed, when God breathed into his fashioned body and he awoke to life, do you think he knew how to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it? No. He was new and untaught. You know, in in Genesis 2, it says God actually brought the animals to him. I was teaching the kids about this. I said, he brought them. That's the word there. So he says, and it's like, look at my creation. And, you know, we were picturing a chapel like, he brings this large creature, long legs and a long neck, and it's like, Adam, look at this. Look at this, this creation of mine. And Adam's like, wow. And looking and observing, and, 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 and he's like, okay, I'm the God who names all. I'm named, and I name all things. Yeah. Now you name this. And Adam's like, wow. Every time it takes a step, it has a, it's, it's like fast. It gets so far in one step. I'm going to name it giraffe, which means fast walker. So there you have it. Like sinless Adam who had unhindered access to God had to be taught to be formed and matured for his assignment to express the very nature of God himself on the earth. This dynamic, the creator, father, teacher, and the son, disciple, student, was how it was from the very beginning. So the truth is we are designed 
to be ones who are taught. We are created to be formed. We are given ears to hear a voice. With the fall of man, the spirit of the age has gladly stepped up to connect with that design, speaking, forming, and teaching to lead the whole world into delusion and misery. So here's the question for us today. Who will be our teacher? Until Christ's death broke the grip of sin and the works of darkness in me, I didn't have ears for another voice. I was enslaved to the formation of the world and steeped in religious forms. But once I heard Jesus, I was captivated. I had to know him more. His voice had to be the one that formed me. And about 20 plus years ago, I'll never forget, I was sitting at my desk praying when I had a powerful life-changing encounter with Jesus where he, he he spoke almost audibly to me. He told me that he knew Pastor Pete and Pastor Lisa. And he said to follow them was to follow him. And this encounter set me into a body and under their voice and leadership, which has kept me safe from the pull of other voices. This life as Pastor Pete and Pastor Lisa's disciple has literally saved my family and has set me in a place where I'm hearing God and being taught by him. This lifestyle of obedience calls, calls me on to keep maturing, kicking out darkness and following his leadership into territory beyond my imaginings and now teaching those who follow me. We can't mess around. We can't actually think about it or wonder about it. Otherwise, the current of the world, the spirit of the age will be right there, right there to sweep us away. It's, it's too powerful to resist. We must respond now to the voice of Christ. And we can respond now. We were made for this life. This is the way to, ch- this is the way to change with subduing power. This is the way we can change a nation. This is it. Discipleship. Could I have our pastors stand up real quick? Wait, Shelly. Okay, so after the service today, these people that are standing up right here are going to be over by these flowers. And if you're a guest or you're relatively new and you're saying, wow, the Lord seems to be drawing me here, and, or you, you have questions about where you're at in your walk with the Lord and your identification with Christ's body, it is imperative that you get that question resolved and that you find where Jesus is placing you. He says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 12 that the Lord, the head, Jesus, sets the members in the body where he pleases him. He is the determined, he is the builder of the ecclesia, his body. So if you are like, have questions, I'm not asking you to commit your life here, but you 
If you have questions or you want to take a step forward, where do I go from here? I want to invite you to come and talk to one of these pastors, which will be over here um, on my left by the flowers at the end of the service. Thank you, guys. Pastor Ryan, come and share with us about what the Lord was sharing with you about the day of power. Hello. Daniel 7.13. Give me a thumbs up when it's up there. Nice. Let's read this. Well, I'm going to read this. Follow along. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one, which shall not be destroyed. Amen. Pastor Pete walked us through Daniel 7 earlier in his sermon. This passage says that Jesus, well, let me make the connection. Jesus is the son of man. It doesn't say it's Jesus. <laughs> we find that out later. Jesus is this son of man. Jesus has been given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. This says that all serve the son of man. Who has dominion, glory, and a kingdom. It is my experience that last Saturday in the day of power, that the Son of Man, big S and big M, was coming to the sons of men, small s, small m. He comes and is coming by his spirit, taking all that is his and transferring it to us by power. Not conceptually, not ideas but transferring by power. And in doing so, he is re reproducing himself in us through an experience of experiential discipleship. Through power, through experiential discipleship, he is reproducing what is his into us. He's equalizing with the body. The head is equalizing with the body. All that is Christ's, he's working to transfer daily, powerfully into every member. The Son of Man is a pattern for men and women. From one generation of disciple to the next generation of disciple, reproducing one man. The person of the Son of Man in us. As the word was coming Saturday night, I saw this six-foot human-sized cookie cutter coming down on me. It was wonderful and fearful. As the word was coming Saturday night, it was coming down on me. It was the revelation and pattern of the person of the Son of Man. 
He was laying on top of me. This pattern of the Son of Man, Christ, the pattern of the Son of, the Son of Man, He was laying down on top of me. And he, as He was doing so, He was lopping off the excess. Have you ever made cookies? Sure. <laughs> ever used a pattern? Yeah. He was lopping off the excess that was outside of the pattern. And it was also at the very same time exposing where there were parts of me that did not reach all the way to the edges and were not filling out the fullness of the pattern. I was then immediately in an experience from 2 Kings 4, which says, When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. He went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. This happens twice, and then the boy's raised from the dead. I immediately was in this experience with the Lord. Mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand, Jesus the Son of Man is coming to me and to us and is stretched out on top of us, yes. transferring life to us, yes. chest to chest. Yes. He is unafraid of death laying himself on, an, on what is dead. And in fact, death is what qualifies us. Death is what qualifies you for this experience with the Son of Man, with, for a transfer of power from the Son of Man. Death qualifies you for that kind of power and that transfer. He is giving himself particularly to all that occurs through the gates of our mouth, the gates of our eyes, the gates of our hands, what we put our hands to. He's raising us out of a, out of a limited, selfish, small vision. He's, he's, he's delivering us from religious communication, fleshly, cultural communication. And he's delivering us from the, the uh, dead works that we often want, that are vulnerable to putting our hands to. Jesus is delivering us through power, through encounter. The Son of Man is doing this to the sons of men in his days of power. This is a great awakening. We need this kind of awakening. We have no capacity to awake ourselves. We need Jesus Christ laying on us. And all the life that's in Jesus Christ, transferring into every sphere of death, as we have freely handed ourselves over to death, daily dying. He's pleased to lay on us and raise us from the dead. As it says in, in Philippians, it says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Do you know who prays that kind of prayer? Someone who's dead. If we have not died with Christ, 
We are not seeking resurrection power. Resurrection power belongs to the dead. It is the heart cry of ones who have died, who have no other capacity for life except that Jesus, the Son of Man, comes and raises this thing or that thing, this area, that family member, this marriage, that child from the dead. We have no capacity outside of the Son of Man. For instance, I can see, as deliverance was happening corporately Saturday afternoon, that Jesus was being laid on us all through that time. Those being delivered were receiving the Son of Man who was lopping off demons and evil powers that don't belong on God's children. Those administrating deliverance were rising to fill out the pattern of the Son of Man, to love and act and release the powers of the age to come. Those in the ecclesia were letting observation be cut off and were praying without ceasing. All were being presented an encounter with the Son of Man. We're all being given an encounter with the Son of Man that restores dominion and glory to the sons of men and the kingdom of God. Dominion is for men. Glory is for men. Say that with me. Dominion is for me. Glory is for me. It says this in Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. dominion. It's in our charter. It's in the charter of mankind. This is not an add-on. This is restoration. Thank you, God. As it says, and then as David saw and declared in Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man, little s, little m. What is mankind? What are men? What are families? What are children? What are cities and civilizations? What are they? That you have been so thoughtful, so mindful, yes. so creative, so, yeah. so engaged. Yeah. What are these things? Yes. You visit us. Yes. Thank you for visiting us, Lord. Yes. You have made man just a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned us. We have crowns. We have been crowned with glory. You have been crowned with glory. I have been crowned with glory. And honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under man's feet. Your feet. 
This was, this call, this reality was absolutely decimated in Adam. Yes. It was as far as the east is from the west were these realities. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were gone. Now we are the subject ones. Now we are the under ones of powers and principalities. Except for days of power. And except for a son of man. <laughs> the day of power and the future days of power are the days of the son of man. The days of the coming of the son of man. That the inner configuration and experiential working of the man who has obtained dominion, the man who has obtained glory, the man who has obtained a kingdom forever would transfer this to men and women, to us, his people. What was lost and soiled in Adam has been won back and is now empowered in Christ, being transferred chest to chest that men and women would be restored and matured in Christ for the salvation of the whole earth. Thank you for a global vision, Lord Jesus Christ, that keeps breaking us out of the small, small, small vision of Babylon. It's about me. It's about my little brood. Thank you, Jesus, for killing that small vision in your body. And restoring us to a vision of the subjection of the whole earth yes. to the kingdom of God. Yes. We give ourselves to days of power, to the power of the spirit, and to the power of the preached word. We step boldly into and stand boldly in a lifestyle of death. Determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him, him crucified. To make a display of the knowledge of nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Making us in our corporate assembly a target in 2023 for the coming of the Son of Man and His days of power. God's great awakenings. Why is He doing this? He is doing this because He will not let our faith rest on human wisdom. Our faith rests on the spirit and power. Lord, we receive your power even right now. Power that displaces human reasoning and human wisdom and human understanding of you, Jesus. And that this would be some sort of foundation for an understanding of ourselves and an understanding of the kingdom. We receive delivering power right now. And we receive your power to move us violently onto a foundation again of the spirit and power. We live by the spirit and by power. We're made for power. It's a lifestyle of power. Thank you, Jesus. He is doing this because the rulers of this age and the wisdom of this age will be brought to nothing. And Jesus is making our corporate assembly a target for the coming of the Son of Man and his days of power in 2023 because we will see all peoples, 
nations, and languages serving him. Jesus, the Son of Man, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And he's beginning here. Which shall not pass away and his kingdom is the one that shall not be destroyed. It says in 2 Timothy that the hardworking farmer is first to eat of the fruit. Lord, we just take a big bite right now of these realities. Of dominion and authority and power. We eat you, Jesus. We drink you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed wrestling with the Word and the Spirit as you engaged with this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.metrodetroit.org. And have a great week.